was so nervous. And then I realized that the crabbing that I was nervous. And like I started, my mic was shaking and then grabbing that thing. Then when people know you're nervous, you get even more nervous. And it's like, it was a disaster. It was a disaster. Leonard, you were there watching that whole thing. He even told my mom, he seems a little nervous. Um, but what the whole point of that message was Jensen Franklin talks about this scripture in Revelations, how there's this creature with all these deadly, or these, all these heads, but on one of the heads there was a wound, then it was meant to kill him, but it didn't kill him. It had been healed over. And the point that he pulled out of it is that, you remember when Jesus came and Jesus had the scars on his hands and he showed Thomas? Look at my hands. See, the scars never healed up. And the point is, is that the enemy would try to use something to kill us, to destroy us, a, a financial breakdown, a divorce, my kids aren't, you know, are falling away, and these are scars that the enemy would try to use to kill us. But Jesus says, look, didn't kill me, I'm going to wear it as a badge of honor. And so, and so the, 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 the theme is, is that our scars are past. We shouldn't be ashamed of our past. We should be excited about, look, this is what an enemy tried to do to me, and this is what God did do to me. That's what I almost killed me, and this is where God took me. You guys understand that? So it's a great, it's a great, you go to Revelation, you kind of try to pull this thing out, but it's kind of weird. It was a scar that was meant to kill them, and it didn't kill them. It was just, and it proved to be a testimony. So the scars that we have in our life, and we've all got scars in our lives, but the scars that we have, don't be ashamed of them. Don't be mad about what happened and about the lifestyle that you guys chose or whatever. Just understand that where you're at now is the enemy never wanted you here, right? And that's what the enemy tried to do, but look at what God did. You know what I mean? That's good stuff. Okay. Okay, we're going to talk about comparison. <laughs> okay, guys, quick experiment. I like illustrations. I work with kids. Okay, quick experiment, quick experiment. You guys just hands up. Hands down. Okay, so let's start off with let's start off with this. Who would rather have? Who would rather have Dasani? Raise your hands. Or Smart Water? Raise Smart Water hands. Ooh, a lot of smart people. Dasani hands. A couple people like Dasani. Smart Water. All right, Smart Water wins. Doesn't make you smart. <laughs> Believe me, a product. M&Ms, chocolate regular M&Ms. Anybody? Peanut M&Ms. Woo, peanuts, baby. Protein. All right, this is the funniest one. Pretty sure we all know where this is gonna go. Pepsi? Three Pepsi people. Coke. Oh, we love Coke in here. All right, that is a product of what we do. Every single person does it every single day of our lives. We compare things. We live in comparison. Um, and comparison in itself is not a bad thing. Um, but what happens with comparison, i got to find my Bible verse. Okay, here we go. What happens with comparison is, like I said, it's not a bad thing. Um, when it becomes a bad thing is when we compare ourselves to somebody else's life. Okay, to compare Coke and Pepsi, whatever. But what happens was, 
is, is when we start to compare ourselves to other people. Um, and the title of this sermon, if you guys are taking notes and want to title it, I titled it, um, Comparison is the Death of Contentment. I almost forgot the name of my sermon title. <laughs> I didn't think about it. Um, but we're not living our lives as full as we could because we're caught in this trap. It's almost a trap of comparison. Um, so at the top of the list, the things that we start to tend to um, compare ourselves with, you know, is like possessions, your cars, your house, your clothes, appearance, your hair, your body shape, um, your, the performance, you know, you want a better job, you want a better wife or husband, um, a mom or a dad, and then we can tend to compare uh, circumstances with, with each other. Um, one thing about comparison, though, guys, comparison happens within proximity. You understand that? I don't compare my house to the mansion that's up on, like, Bishop's Lodge. You know what I mean? I compare my front yard to my neighbor's front yard. You know what I mean? We're not concerned about, you know, people's houses in L.A. and, you know, all these mansions and stuff. But what do we do? We compare our front yard, our driveway, just to our neighbor's front yard. And so you guys will find that in today's kind of stories, we're going to go through a couple stories but almost in every instance of the Bible, it happens within close proximity. It happens with people that are closest to you where you try to start comparing yourself to one of another. Um, there's something inside all of us that wants to be good, wants to know that we're smart enough or pretty enough. Um, we all have the desire to be accepted. And you look at the very beginning of the Bible. You don't have to go very far. And if you're new today, um, if you open your Bible to the first book, the very first book, uh, Genesis, there, it, it just starts off. I mean, we went from zero sin to just a lifestyle of sin. And you look at Cain and Abel, and Cain was constantly comparing himself to his brother. Um, it seemed like everything that his brother did, God would bless it. Um, and, and he had this, 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 this comparison that drove him wild, and it drove him to the point of murder. Um, but some of us may be like that, where, where it's like we look at somebody else's life, and it seems like they get all the blessings of God. It's like they, everything seems easier in their life for them. And we don't understand why our lives are so much harder, but yet their life is so much easier. And that's kind of the same comparison that Cain and Abel dealt with. Well, Cain, rather. Um, Jacob and Esau, you fast forward a little bit further. Jacob and Esau. Jacob spent the majority of his young life comparing himself to his brother to try to win the acceptance of his father. And some of us do the same thing. Some of us are, we have a brother or a sister who we feel like, and it's me, Grace, um, is more loved by mom or dad oh <laughs> uh, just digging on the sister today love it uh, oh you too it's, it's me um but you i'm kidding i'm kidding my parents love all of us the same um but jacob had this thing he, he wanted to be like his brother uh his brother found favor in his dad everything that that esau did i mean just his dad loved it he was a hunter and he was a hunter, and he uh, cooked really good food and everything. He just loved everything about him. So some of us may struggle with that, um, just comparing ourselves to our siblings. Joseph, you fast forward even further. Joseph, it's like God gave Joseph this dream, and Joseph had this dream, and he was interpreting dreams and telling his brothers, you're going to bow down to me. Um, and, and his brothers were not happy about that at all, and that drove them to jealousy. And some people may be like that too. Like, how come God hasn't given me a dream today? Um, you know, it's like I, I go through life and I ask God, you know, what's my purpose? What's my calling? And I don't have a dream, but it's like, oh, so-and-so, they have their whole life set ahead of them. And everything just seems so easy for them. Um, and it's just like they've got so much, so much favor. And then we fast forward a little bit more. Actually, I think we're going back in reverse. Um, but Rachel and Leah, 
And this is where we're going to kind of settle in today, guys, is Rachel and Leah. And Rachel compared herself to her sister because she was pretty. And maybe there's somebody in here that relates to that too, just, re, you know, comparing yourself to somebody who's pretty. And you go home and you look at yourself in the mirror and it's like you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're too fat. You're ugly. You're not like this person or that person. And that really begins to just weigh in on somebody, on, on, on us. And so as a working definition, this is what I'm going to give it. Comparison is looking at others to determine, to determine who you are. I'll say it again. Comparison is looking at others to determine who you are. So um, we're going to pick up. Do you guys want to pull it up? We're in Genesis 29. Um, and this is the story. This is kind of the story Jacob... Um, well, this is cool. Let's backtrack a little bit. So Jacob had really just done something very dishonest in his life uh, to the point where his dad was dying, uh, was going blind and deaf and couldn't really, you know, you know, see or understand what was going on. Um, and so Jacob deceives his father and he goes into his father's house and he, and he, he even puts animal fur on him and he, and he lowers his voice and he does all these things to make himself look and appear and sound and even smell like Esau. Because Esau was getting ready to get all the rights and everything. The firstborn was getting ready to get everything, you know, from his father. And um, so in this moment, Jacob goes in and he deceives his dad and he gets the rights. And then mom comes along and she realizes what happens. And she's like, Esau's going to kill you because he's a really good shot with his bow. And you better run and watch out. And Jacob's on the run. He, like, he's gone. Like, see you later. I'm scared of this guy. And so um, he finds himself kind of on the run, and he's, he's gotten to this place of just desperation. Um, and we've all kind of felt like this. We've screwed up. Then we've isolated ourselves, and we're, we're just wondering, you know, what to do with our lives. You know, I've screwed up so much, and I, I really betrayed this person, and they hate me, and I hate myself. And you're just, he's in this, like, pit of misery. Um, it's a pit of misery, dilly dilly. And, <laughs> and, and so he's, just, he's in this moment. And he's in this moment, and, he, and he's on his way to go meet uh, his uncle. And, and God, he has this dream. He lays his head down, and he has this dream, and it's a vision. And he sees literally a stairway to heaven. And angels are coming up and going down and coming up and going down. And, and really what I like to pull out of that is that, and this is where we get the term Bethel. Yeah, woo, woo, woo. But this is where we get the term Bethel, and Bethel kind of translates to this is the house of God. And so Jacob puts this, like, little pillar, and he, after he sees that, but just in his loneliness, in his isolation, in his, in his moment of screwing up, God literally shows him, dude, all day long, this is what's going on. Angels up, angels down. Angels up, angels down. They're here for you. They're walking around, and they're always here. And he had to show him that. And that, just for us, you guys, when we've done that, when we've screwed up, just know that God is always there. We may have walked away for a moment, but God has always been there, sending his angels down to do something, sending them back up to give a message. You know, they've always been there. He had to show Jacob that in that moment. So um, we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 29. Jacob's on his way. Uh, he's running. He just had this experience at Bethel, and he's moving on. And are we there? Yes, here we go. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east as he looked and saw as he looked, he saw a well in a field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. Um, beside it. For out of the well, the flocks were watered. Sorry, guys. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and, the, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well of the water, the sheep, um, and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. 
Jacob said to them, my brothers, yes, here we go, we're good. My brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. They sa- he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? Nahor. They said, we know him, and he said to them, is it well with him? Is he all right? Is he doing okay? Is he alive? They said, it is well. Understand this. Jacob didn't have GPS, okay? Um, I don't know if you guys spend a lot of time outdoors. Um, I do. And there's been a few times where I've been lost outdoors. And, like, it's getting dark. Rain's coming. And you don't know where you're at. You're getting a little freaked out. But there's a moment of when you, like, see your four-wheeler or your truck where it's like, yes! Yes, I made it! You don't want to admit to yourself that you've been lost and you've been wandering around. But I really feel like Jacob in this moment... When he says, do you guys know Laban? That's the guy I'm looking for. And they say, yeah, I know him. He's got this moment of like, yes, 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 yes. I'm, I'm, I'm at where I'm going. Okay. So he said to them, is it well with him? Is he okay? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with sheep. He said, behold, it is still high in the day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water their sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until the flocks are gathered together. And the stone is rolled away from the mouth of the well, then, the, then we water the sheep. So Jacob, he kind of had a history. He had a history of working with sheep. Uh, his father was a very successful man, Isaac, and, and he knew um, just what to do with these sheep. And he's looking at all these sheep, and they're not being watered, and they're not getting fat, and they're not eating, and he's telling the guys, yo, like, you got a lot of revenue out here. You should be making it better. He was a businessman. He kind of knew what he was talking about. And so while still speaking, picking up in verse 9, while still speaking with him, Rachel came with her father's sheep as she was a shaper. A sh- she, was sh- she was shapely. She, Rachel was shapely. She had them curves, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. All right, so Rachel was a shepherd. Uh, she was not a shepherd. She was a shepherd. Um, she had them curves, girl. Okay, now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, came, uh, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth of the watered flock and watered the flock. So ladies, I don't know if you're impressed by your husband's wives, I mean husbands or boyfriends who do something like pick up something really heavy for you. And they're like, check this out, look how strong I am. This has been happening, you can blame it on Jacob, because this has been happening for thousands of years where guys are trying to show off their feats of strength. That whole part of that chapter was to tell us how heavy the rock was and that Jacob, the big strong man, came and moved the rock in front of his girlfriend. Okay, then Jacob kissed Rachel. These, they moved pretty quick out there. So then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. He even cried right after he kissed her. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that, and that Rebecca's son, and he was Rebecca's son, and she ran and told her father. She's excited, so understand this. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to the house. So Laban's pretty excited. Like, cha-ching, cha-ching, buddy, money, money, money. I'm seeing money coming my way. Um, so, yeah, Jacob, you're all, you're all about it, man. Come on in. So um, where are we at? Where are we at? Okay, then, J- then Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and flesh. And, uh, and he stayed with him a month. Okay. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. You already know where this is going. Laban had two daughters. 
The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So a lot of scholars would say that when the translation says Leah's eyes were weak, it would say that she had a cyst on her eye. Um, maybe she was blind. Um, some people would say it's like the Christian term of saying, like, oh, she has a nice heart. Um, you know what I mean? So, so it's not really translated what it really is. But that's not it. <laughs> that's not it. What happens, and, and, the, and the, Leah's fine. Leah's fine having weak eyes, right? She was cool. Here's where the crushing blows comes. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Le- Leah was fine just going on throughout her day having weak eyes. The, the, the crushing blow comes with the word but, and then the comparison comes right after that. But Rachel, she was fine, but Rachel was beautiful in appearance and form. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you for seven years. He's still talking to Laban. I will love this, I love this girl. I will serve you for seven years. I love her so much. That is commitment. Woo. Laban said, it is better. Oh, this is great. So you have, you have, you have Jacob. I love Rachel. She's so awesome. And I'm just going to, I'm going to serve you, Laban, for seven years. And then in typical father-in-law fashion, it is better that I give you to her than I should give you to any other man. Like, really? Like, the first backhanded compliment comes out of the Bible from, from Laban. It's like, uh, better you than somebody else, dude. You know, it's like, um, so Jacob served for seven years um, for Rachel. Don't forget that. He was serving for Rachel. And they seemed to him, here's the beautiful love line in the Bible, and they served him for seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because his love he had for her. Aw. Aw, right? Cheesy. Um, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my, oh, okay, so this is, this is great. This is just a great sequence of events. So you have, you have Jacob, oh, please, I'm going to work seven years for her. I'm going to work seven years for her. He works seven years for her, and it goes, my love grows for you every day. You know, I love you so much. Verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into my tent for my time is completed. He, he's ready to get down to business, right, you know. Um, so Laban gathered all together the people of the place and made a feast. You know, we had these wedding feasts. We all know wedding feasts back in the day. Um, usually lasted about a week long. And these were um, very wine-induced parties, okay? There's a lot of wine. There's a lot of drinking. And uh, we're going to get to that. You're going to understand why I say that in just one second. Um, big party, big feast. The people had made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah to Jacob, and Jacob went to her. In the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for seven years for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And of course, Laban, "Uh, it's not a, this is so funny. It is not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week one, complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other one in return. Also in return for serving me another seven years. Man, I got to read that again. I got a little choppy. In the morning, behold, it was Leah, and Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Then why have you deceived me? See what happened? The trickster just got tricked. See, Jacob, his whole life was a deceiver and a manipulator, and he deceived his dad 
I think God is kind of saying, here's a taste of your own medicine, bud. You know, you're, you're the trickster and you're the deceiver, so you're getting tricked. Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one and we'll give you the other one also for returning for, also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. So Jacob went to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel much more and served Laban for another seven years. A couple points I want to pull out of that. Verse 26. He's worked for seven years to get to this point of this queen that he wanted, Rachel. And he gets seven years into it, and at the end of that, he's tricked and deceived, and what he thought he was doing, he didn't get. And I wonder if there's anybody in here like that today where you feel like you've just worked and worked and worked for something, but at the end of it, it's not what you expected. And I think all of us can, re can relate to that. Um, there's always something that we, we've tried and we thought it was going to be what we wanted it to be. We wanted to get that brand new truck. You know, we wanted to get that brand new house and then the payments start showing up. And it's like, this, is this what I worked for? Is this what I really wanted? You know, I've been busting my tail for this and this is what I'm getting. And so, um, excuse me, Leah felt inadequate. Um, she was rejected by Jacob. We're going to keep on reading here because I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. So, um, Jacob did so and completed a week. Then Laban gave him the And when the, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Understand that Jacob loved Leah much more. And that's where the crushing blow comes. Jacob keeps comparing Leah back to Rachel. Leah's fine on her own. Leah had a man. She was ready to get out, be under the shadow of her beautiful sister. Everyone's always talking about how beautiful Rachel is. So she gets married and she's out of here. So, um, but Jacob, he always had this love for Rachel. And so you pick up in verse 31. Uh, it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son. Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me the son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now, on the third one, now this is my time. Now my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Do you guys feel like we're ever just on this treadmill of life, like you just keep doing something and doing something? The definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And it's like Leah's just, she has one kid, and he's going to love me because I have one kid. I'm going to have two kids, still no love. I'm going to have three kids, still no love. She has a lot more than three. We're going to get to that. And he calls his name again because she conceived a son. Now this will be time, my time. My husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name will be called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this is this time. Here we go. This is where we're at. 35. She conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, his name shall be called Judah. And then she ceased bearing. So she has this moment of like realization in her life where, she gets to her fourth son and she just says, I'm done. I'm done living in comparison with my sister. I'm trying to like beat her and win the approval of my husband over how many kids I can have. And she names him Judah and she just says, forget it. I'm done living in comparison. I'm just going to praise the Lord. 
And so, um, where are we at? Where are we at? So, let's see. The, the story goes on. The story goes on. Thirty. We're going to go into chapter 30, guys. First one here. Here we go. When, when Rachel saw that she bore no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jeez, woman. Some pressure. Jacob's anger kindled against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God? He was like, am I God? Do I make those decisions? No. Who has withheld you from the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here is my servant. Bilhah, go into her that she may give birth on my behalf, that I may have children through her. So she gave her servant Bilhah, the wife of Jacob, and he went to her. So right here, guys, like from verses, basically until we get into 14. We're going to skip ahead to 14. There's a series of events right now that's happening in chapter 30, verse 1 through 14, where... (laughs) You talk about comparison at its core and people just going crazy. Rachel and Leah both had maidservants, right? So at this time, Leah was done having babies. Rachel couldn't have babies. Rachel gives one of her maidservants to Jacob because they didn't have um, artificial insemination or whatever you want to call that. So um, they didn't have all that happening. So she had to give her maid to Jacob and say, whenever you guys have a baby, I'm going to stake claim on that baby. That's my baby. That's Rachel's baby. And then so right after that, Leah kind of does the same thing, and then Rachel does the same thing again, and then Leah comes back and does the same thing. Um, And it's just like comparison at its core, and it just gets really vile and just kind of really crazy. Um, But I encourage you guys to read it. It's a really interesting story. Um, But the bottom line is there's no winning in comparison. Um, And so let me just kind of finish this story, and then we're going to kind of get into a couple points. In the days of wheat harvest... Reuben, remember that was one of uh, Leah's kids, Uh, Reuben went and found some mandrakes in the field. Mandrakes, for those of you who don't know, were considered to be an aphrodisiac, if you will, maybe a fertility um, flower that would help with, you know, just fertilization and having birth and giving birth. And so um, mandrakes were in the field, and uh, Leah's first son finds the mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Is that a little thing? You took my husband. You think you're going to get these mandrakes? I don't think so. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also, Rachel said? Then he, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. So Leah's now pimping out her husband for some mandrakes to Rachel. Um, you know, good Old Testament. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, so understand this, Jacob's been working in the field all day just doing his thing. Also, it's been brought to my attention from a female. We don't really get a lot of dialogue from Jacob complaining about any of this. Uh, he's just kind of getting thrown around this woman and this woman and her maid servant and hers. And you don't really hear Jacob doing a lot of complaining during all this, which I wish he stood up and said something, women. So Jacob's been out in the field all night, and um, he's coming home, and he's got, life's doing all right. He's working, he's working for Laban, he's going to go home and see his beautiful wife, Rachel, who he loves, and she's got the sparkle in her eye and all this stuff. 
But it says, when Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in with me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So her, the wife has hired the husband in exchange for mandrakes. Wow. So, so he laid with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Iskar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. We talked about this at number four. She had told herself, I'm done, and I'm going to call this guy Judah, and I'm just going to praise God. But we're up to six now. Leah has said, God has endowed me with good endowment. Now my husband will honor me. She's still stuck in this. How many kids I have he's going to honor? Because I have borne him a sixth son. She called his name Zebulon. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her Dina. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son. God has taken my reproach, and she called his name Joseph. May the Lord add me another son. You guys know who Joseph is. Joseph went on to lead the nations and do some amazing things. As soon as Rachel bore Joseph. Uh, so the story kind of ends about in this area. Well, it doesn't really end at all right there. But I'm going to stop it right there. So just you get into this, I mean, talk about comparison. There's, there's really, there is no winning in comparison when we begin to compare ourselves to somebody else. And um, I think it was said like this, uh, and we're going to get into kind of modern times right now. But social media is to comparison with gasoline is to fire. Social media is to comparison what gasoline is to fire. So if you struggle with comparison, you struggle with envy, Instagram and Facebook are probably a bad place for you. I know I can be having the best day of my life. I can be just so thankful about everything that I'm doing and everything that's going on. And I can get on Instagram and instantly everything that I was thankful for is out the window. And it's not bad things. It's not bad things. I can, like one of my friends, Manny Arango, who's an incredible teacher, I see him doing things and it makes me feel insignificant. And I start to compare myself to him and compare, man, I want to teach like that. I want to reach people the way he does. But I, I can come right off this stage and have, like, man, this is a really good service. I'll go look at, you know, social media and begin to compare my life with other people's life. Almost to the point, and you guys don't have to raise your hands, but have you ever had somebody close in your life, somebody that you know, and you've seen them doing something really, really good for themselves, and there's a little part in you that goes, like, you're mad that they're doing so much better than you are. And it's like, ooh, where does that come from? It's like, I, I can see Manny doing just incredible, incredible things. And I talk to him, and, I'll, you know, we talk on the phone, and then I'll tell like, we'll hang up the phone, and it's just like, oh, man, he's so much more successful. He's doing so much more things. And it's like, you know, that's not what God has called us to be. God has not called me to be a Manny Rango. I love you, Dad. But God has not called me to be a Ron Sebesta. Um, God has made one Ron Sebesta, and, and for a reason. We all have individual things, and when we start to compare ourselves, we really lose what, what God is trying to do in our lives. So, a couple points out of this, and then um, you guys are going to get out late today, but it's okay. I taught for an hour and 15 minutes on Friday, so just bear with me, guys. <laughs> Comparison is the death of contentment. Comparison. Let's get uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 12 up there, guys. Yes, 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 yes. And I'm just going to go from the bottom half of this scripture. But Paul 
is writing this, and it, and it says, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Paul knew, Paul knew not to fall in this trap of comparison. And Paul knew that comparison kills joy and it robs meaning and it entraps us. Um, one point here is success is simply being who God wants you to be, not who you wish you were. Um, but it's yet, we, we always want to define success in terms of what we have or what we don't have. Um, and God is saying, I made you the way that I want you to be. Um, Um, God has created us, each of us uniquely different uh, and for uniquely different circumstances. And that's why we don't always all agree on things. Uh, that's why we have different of opinions. But that's because we view life in different ways. God has given us different understandings for different circumstances. Um, okay, point number one or two or whatever my points. I've got a couple points and I've got two points to make about how we can get out of comparison. Comparison actually makes us prideful. This is our second verse, guys, in Luke 18. Comparison makes us prideful. Yes, you guys are quick back there. This is one of the Pharisees, and he's standing, in, and he's standing by himself, and I love this, because you have to imagine this guy doing this. But the Pharisee is standing by himself praying, Thus saith the Lord, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even like this poor little tax collector. But you got to understand this, this guy standing in the temple and just screaming at the top of his lungs. Because why? Because he's comparing himself to the other people and it's making him prideful. He's, he's missing the mark. You're missing the point, dude. It's like we're, we're all here to like, you know, to draw attention to himself. C.S. Lewis says this. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. That's good. Not only does comparison make us prideful, but it also makes us resentful. Uh, let's go Samuel first. Samuel, guys. Things came up really early. But it's okay. I, I, I cued the worship team, but we ain't ready for that. Um, I, I'll make it quick. Um, okay. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so this is 1 Samuel. <clears throat> this is right after David kills Goliath, right? And Saul and, and everyone's, like, super happy. David's just, like, doing these amazing things. Um, they, was, they, they were being persecuted by the Philistines. Um, and Jacob knocks this guy in the head. And um, should I say? This is really cool. This is really cool. Let me just share this point with you guys. When Jacob hit Goliath in the head. I mean, sorry, thank you. Thank you, thank you. When David hit Goliath in the head, he hit him right in the forehead. And the Bible says, and there's some translations that say that Goliath fell, his face fell forward, right? Jacob actually hit his enemy right in, David actually hit his enemy right in the forehead and made him fall on his knees and start to worship. You know what I mean? He was falling forward. The, the enemy had been done and he was falling face down, face forward, just in a sign of just a complete submission. I mean, most people you'd fall backwards, but it's pretty cool. Um, so, so, so this moment happens where David hits Goliath, and, and, and he's relieved his, all of his people from this persecution. And what happens right after that is the women come out with their little tambourines, start singing a song about Saul. Saul killed a thousand, but David, ten thousand. And it's like in that moment, 
Saul just became just so furious. He lets his anger control him. Something that was going to be so good. This, this enemy that had been messing with these guys for so long had been defeated. But in that moment, and the women, they made him just change his mind. He went from an amazing just like high to an extreme low of comparison. And just thought, man, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be able to do what David did. So we're so quick to compare ourselves when we feel threatened by somebody else's success. We resent God's goodness in other lives and ignore God's blessing in our own lives. When we see success and allow others to comp- uh, ourselves to compare, we often become resentful. And that is a dangerous place to be. So I got two points and we're going to get out of here. Know what you have. How do you get through comparison? You know what you have. If you have a personal relationship with God, the Holy Spirit's living inside you and helping you and understanding your circumstances. This is in Philippians 4.13. You guys know this. But right before in, in, in verse 11, it says, Now that I'm speaking, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be bought low. I know how to, I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Paul writes that he's learned to be content with whatever circumstance he has. Paul, you guys remember that? We did an example of that. The one thing, secret in life, one thing. Being content with whatever situation you're in. Not comparing yourselves. Paul knew that. Yeah, I like that guitar. We're going to close. We're going to start closing. You understand that when when, uh, somebody's talking, they say the word closing, it brings back 70% of the audience. So you guys' attention span was gone. And I say the word closing, and you're all back. So welcome back. Hope you guys enjoy the story. Number one, number one, know what you have. Number two, know who you are. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You guys, you are God's workmanship. You, are spe- you have a specific assignment from heaven that will not look the same as the person next to you. So don't compare. Don't even bother comparing because your assignment doesn't look like his assignment. And yours don't look like his and nobody else looks the same. Jesus came into the world that we might have life and life more abundantly. Comparison stills our abundant life. Christ has came so that we, we may be who God has called us to be. If we're so busy comparing ourselves to others around us, we will never become who God has called us in the purest form. Knowing who you are, in knowing who you are, you know who you don't have to try to be. George MacDonald was a man that C.S. Lewis looked up to. He would, Lewis called him his mentor. And MacDonald writes this, I would rather be what God chose to make me than the most glorious creature that I could think of. For to have been thought about Born in God's thought and then made by God is the dearest, grandest, and most precious thing in all thinking. I have one little point to make here. See, when God saw Leah, he saw a princess. And that's exactly what Leah became to be. If you guys read in the children's Bible, It'll tell you this. You'll never guess what God, what job God gave Leah. See, when God saw Leah, he saw a princess. And sure enough, that's what, exactly what she became. 
one of Leah's children's children's children would become a prince, a prince of heaven, God's son. This prince would love God's people and they didn't need to be beautiful for him to love them. He would love them with all of his heart and they would look beautiful because of that, just like Leah. See, God had a plan for Leah this whole time. And so what do we do? We know, who we, we know what we have. We know who we are. And I'm going to close with this, and I'm going to throw it back to, to Pastor Ron here. But let me just read this. I always tell the students this on Friday nights. You guys need to hear a word from God. You guys really want to hear what God says about you. You need to hear the voice of God in your life. Just close your eyes and listen to this. Because this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible is. The Bible is true, and this is what we believe the Bible says about this. And that's why I tell my kids, you want to hear from God? Open up your Bible. You are loved, 1 John 3.3. 3. You are accepted, Ephesians 1.6. You are a child of God, John 1.12. You are a joint heir with Christ, Romans 8.17. You are a member of Christ's body, 1 Corinthians 12.27. You are a saint, Ephesians 1.1. You are redeemed and forgiven, Colossians 1.14. You are complete in Jesus Christ, Colossians 2.10. You are free from condemnation, Romans 8.1. You are a new creation because you are in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You are chosen of God, holy and dearly loved, Colossians 3.12. And you are God's own workmanship, Ephesians 2.10. And knowing who we are, we know who we don't have to be. Thank you, guys. Wow. That was good. That was good. That was awesome. So once you guys go ahead and stand with me, I'm going to pray with you, and then we're going to close out in worship. I know those of you that need to leave, you can... Just bow out, and uh, those of you that want to stay in worship, I encourage you to do so. Guys, let me just give you, um, just quick, uh, man, I'm just so proud of you, Jason. You did such an awesome job, and, you know, uh, we'll be seeing more of him. Um, Guys, let me just give you, you know, features of coming attraction. Next Sunday... Next Sunday, I am going to share a word with you that's probably going to be the most difficult word that I've ever shared uh, with this congregation. And um, it has to do with rape and incest and sexual abuse. One in three women have been raped, molested, or sexually abused. One in seven men have been sexually abused. A few weeks ago, at midnight, I get a phone call. When you get a phone call at midnight, it's never good news. But at midnight, there's a voice at the end of the phone, a woman that is crying so, so hard that I cannot even understand the words that she's saying. And I had to ask again, tell me again. And she said it again, and I still didn't understand. And she said it again, and I still didn't understand. 
but what she was trying to tell me, this 50-year-old woman, that 40 years ago, when she was 10 years old, a 17-year-old boy, young man, did something to her that she had kept suppressed, never told anybody for 40 years. For 40 years, this has been deep down buried in her life, wounding and hurting and crippling. And next week, we're going to talk about this. Not only going to bring it out, but we're going to talk about how to be healed from this as well. And I'm going to encourage you, those of you that have been in that situation where you have been the victim or you know somebody that's been the victim, I encourage you to get them to be at the service next week. It is going to be not only an informative information, but we're going to pray for God to show up and we're going to set the captives free. Jesus is going to set the captives free in this work next week. So I encourage you guys to be here. Father, we want to just bless you. We praise you. We lift up a, a shouts of joy and praise to you this morning. I think of Isaiah, I believe it's Isaiah 55. that said, you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And the mountains and the hills will break forth before you. And there will be shouts of joy. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands because they're excited about what our God is doing. Let's just lift up a shout of praise to our God. I mean, our God reigns. We serve an awesome God. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.